Welcome once again to Mets at the Movies, the podcast that talks about movies from celluloid to digital and everything in between. My name is Eric Metz, and on today's show, today's show I'm really excited because I'm doing one of one of my favorite favorite movies. Um, it's the movie 500 Days of Summer. Now, one of the reasons why I love this movie is because I'm a huge fan of the romantic drama comedy uh, genre. It's one of my favorites. There's a ton of fil- films in this genre that I love. Anytime somebody tells me about a new one or I see a new one coming out, it's one of the movies that I have to go right away because I love the genre. I just I love the different takes on relationships. I love the where's it going to end. I love the seeing two people who don't necessarily fit well somehow make it work. Um, I learn a lot. Actually, I've I've I've, I've kind of watched so many different romantic comedies well romantic comedy dramas rom-com drama over the course of my life that uh, it's gotten to the point now where I take things from these movies that I see in my life and I use them in my life and it's probably not the best decision to do uh, because a lot of these are people that uh, you know they live in fantasy worlds they live in worlds where things just work out you know they live in these worlds where these people have these simple basic jobs but yet they're somehow able to afford studio apartments in some of the hottest places in New York and LA, but yet they work at a Starbucks. And you're wondering, like, how does this even happen? How does this, how does something like this even happen? But you kind of don't even think about that when you're watching this, because you're really just enjoying the film. You're really just enjoying the characters. You're really just enjoying the story. You're enjoying what happens to them. And this movie came out in 2009, so it wasn't that long ago. It was under 10 years. Um, it got an 85% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, which means a lot of critics liked it. But the big thing is it got a 7.6 average. Now, that's something that I'm going to start bringing up a little bit more often is the average, because obviously with all the debates about Rotten Tomatoes and their scores, I'm going to talk about the average because I feel like the average is, is more appropriate to what you should be looking at. And a 7.6, really good fantastic it was so good that it was made for 7.5 million dollars and it made 60 million dollars may not seem a lot when you're looking at the you know 60 million may not seem like a lot when you're when you look at some of the box offices and you're dealing with 60 million dollars sometimes could be an opening weekend but what you want to look at is you want to look at the return of investment or the return on the return on investment the roi and at 7.5 million $60 $60 million is a great, great return on investment. It means it, 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 did, it did far better than what it was supposed to. Now, 7.5 was only the budget of uh, to actually make it, but uh, obviously there's probably some costs in there for, there's obviously some costs for marketing, which they don't, they don't bring in, but because this was more of an indie film, there wasn't a lot of marketing put towards it. So I would estimate, I would estimate probably the budget to be more close around $12 million. Um, because even at seven point point five million to make, they probably only put maybe around four million to advertise. If, if that, if that, it wouldn't surprise me if the marketing budget was under three million dollars for this. It wouldn't surprise me at all, especially on a budget of seven point five. Why would you spend twice your production budget on marketing? But either way, however much they spent, it worked. Sixty million dollars. Now, the big draw to this was. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Joseph Gordon-Levitt has been a guy that is, he's been, he's been really consistent over his career. When you look back at a lot of his movies he, he makes, he doesn't make a lot of big, flat, flashy movies. I mean, every once in a while you get The Dark Knight Rises, 
but then he comes along with um, 50-50, or if you want to go back a little bit more, uh, Mysterious Skin, which is a very weird, which is a strange, strange movie, but it's very interesting to watch. Very interesting. And then he does something like Looper as well. Uh, but so he's he's not a huge actor, but he always commits to the role, and he seems to pick a lot of really good roles. And attached to him is Zoe Deschanel, who again is at this point in her career is probably known more for television, uh, for her show New Girl, which I started to watch and I really liked New Girl. I'm a big fan of Zoe Deschanel, even with uh, her band. Uh, I'm, I'm not a huge band. Uh, a, f- a huge fan of her her band. I think it's uh, her and him with uh, Matt Ward. I think they're the band uh, t- together. I'm not a huge fan fan of it, but I've heard a couple songs. And you know, indie rock is another one of my genres that I really love. Um, but I just haven't gravitated towards them a little bit much. But I'm not. But her voice is very good, and you hear it in this as well. But yeah, she's more known for a television star at this point with her show New, New Girl than an actual movie star. But she's really good at jumping between both, I find. If she, pick, she seems to be similar to JGL, who can pick really good roles for themselves. Um, also, you got, a, you got a young Chloe Grace Moretz in this, who at a lot of times feels like the older sibling out of the two, two of them. And that is, that's clearly the point, that uh, because of all the stuff that JGL goes through in this m- movie, she kind of has to be the older sibling, and she does really good, really well at it. You also see an early Clark Gregg before he um, was in the, uh, oh, that television show for Marvels that I stopped watching, Agents of, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Not a fan of that show at all, but some a lot of people like it, so good on you. And uh, a lot of people won't know this name, but I'm going to tell you why I will never forget this guy, because he's the luckiest one in this entire cast. His name is Jeffrey... Arend, I believe it's Arend, and there's one reason why he is the luckiest guy in this entire cast, and the simple fact is that he, I believe he's married to Christina Hendricks. Now, being a huge redhead fan that I am, she is up there in the upper echelon of just gorgeous and extremely talented, uh, I mean, with her work on Mad Men, even in Drive, there's such... Her work between Mad Men and Drive are so very di- different, but she's able to play them both. And uh, she also had a small role in Firefly as well, which is where I first saw her. But uh, again, when you're talking about beautiful, smart, amazing acting redheads, she's in the upper echelon as well. And this guy, this guy gets to go home to her every single night. To me, he wins this entire movie just because of that. So good on you. Good on you. Don't lose her. Now, this is directed by Mark Webb. A lot of people now will know him as the director of the first and second Amazing Spider-Man. But before he cut his teeth in the big world, he did this. And um, prior to that, he did a lot of music videos. Reading over a lot of movies, I find that a lot of some of the a lot of the directors that I really like come from music music videos. They cut their teeth in music videos. I think that's where uh, even Scorsese did a lot with uh, music as well. I don't know if he did music videos, but I know he did a lot with uh, music as well. Um, He did that uh, documentary about the band. But uh, yeah, so Mark Webb was the director of this. And the writers of this, 
were Scott Neustadter and Michael Weber. Now, these guys, I have... I, they, I was going over their IMDb, and they seem to be writing partners because everything they do, they do to, together. So I'm cool with them both. I'm excited now for a lot of what these two are doing because they directed, they wrote The Spectacular Now, which I want to revisit because I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I did when it first came out. But I want to revisit because I think if I just give it another chance, I'll like it a lot more. Uh, they also did uh, Fault, in, Fault in Our Stars, which I, I get. It's very sappy, but I liked it as well. They also did Paper Towns. Uh, so I, I wasn't a huge fan of Paper Towns. I thought it was a little, it, it, it was, it felt like a watered down version of some of the other things. Yes, they did write Pink Panther 2, but everybody's got that kind of one that you wish you could take back. But the interesting part about these two are they are, they are the writers of The Disaster Artist with James Ferry Franco. And based off of the feedback that everybody's giving from TIFF, the trailers, this looks like an incredible film. And these guys seem to be on, on their way to st- stardom because their next big film after that is X-Men New Mutants, which I don't know because they, they, they said they plan on taking it as uh, more of a horror genre. So I don't know about that. I don't know about, the, about these guys going into horror, but everybody gets, but you know what? Everybody gets a chance to try something new and uh, we'll see what happens. So as I said, 500 Days of Summer is one of my favorite movies out there because I'm a huge fan of rom-com dramas. And one of the things I like about this movie is it's not a linear it's not a linear movie. So a lot of people when they make films, they shoot out of order. So a lot of films sometimes they even film the ending as the, as the very first scene. And this kind of gave you a chance to see what it's almost like from the editor's point of view and the filmmaker's point of view because a lot of this jumps. So the whole point the whole point of the film is the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character meets Zoe Deschanel, which is day one, and from their meeting to when he's finally officially 100% over her, it's 500 days. Hence the name 500 Days of Summer. And Zoe's character's name is Summer. So that's where you get the 500 day, days of summer. And it jumps a lot. So you don't actually meet, you don't actually see day one until maybe 15 minutes into the film because they start later in the year or they start later in the 500. Then they jump back and they jump forward. So they go from, let's say, 340, like day 340, to day 48, to day 218, to day 3, to day 100. So it jumps all, all over the place. Now, a lot of people out there would think, oh my God, this might get a little really confusing. I might not understand what's going on. But because of how well it's di- directed, you never feel lost. You never feel like, wait a minute. What just happened? Did, did I miss something? Because I don't see, um, I don't see how this got to here. Where did I miss this? What's going on? You never feel like you're out, out of place. You never feel like I don't know what's going on. You always, you always have a sense of what's going on. And right off the bat, it says that this is not a, lo- a love story, which I appreciate. I actually kind of, I actually kind of prefer um, romantic movies that aren't necessarily a love story, uh, because there's because most people you'll most people will have more failed relationships than you will have successful. And that's just the nature of it. It's very rare for somebody to meet the the very first person they meet is the one they're with their entire lives, which is actually kind of funny because one of the characters in this is actually still with his girlfriend they met in, I think is elementary school. 
So they're kind of the polar opposite, which is a fun kind of side note. It's a it's a it's a side story to the whole thing that you could miss, that you might not actually see because you're 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 dealing with JGL's char- character and Summer, and you're dealing with them and their re- re- relationship and just how short how short five hundred days could actually be. I mean, it's less than two years, and then you have one of the other char- characters whose relationship has been since they were little kids, continuing all the way forward. So you get a fun kind of side, side side story that if you don't pay attention to it, you'll miss. And that's one of the things I, li- I like about I like about that one as well. Now, one of the reasons why it's not a love story is because, as, as you can tell, 500 Days of Summer, the whole movie is about JGL's char- character meeting, falling in love, falling out of love, accepting that it's over. And one of the things I like this is it, it really shows the hardship of um, of what it's like to either be in love or think you're in love. And that's the key point, is a lot of people might think they're in love, but it might just be infatuation. I think we've all had that once where you say to yourself, oh my God, this per- person, I think I love them. And you're like, wait a minute, I've only known them for three weeks. And then you start to think, okay, that was clearly infatuation. It was clearly something else. It, it wasn't love, but they show. But it's still to that person in that moment, in that time they're recovering, still feels like they they were in love and they got their heart broken. You don't realize till afterwards that clearly it wasn't bad, bad, bad as it was. Now, some of the reasons why I love this movie is number one, it's put out by Fox Searchlight. Fox Searchlight has to be my second favorite movie studio. Number one being Di- number one obviously being Disney. And under Disney I I I I umbrella um, I put under the Disney umbrella the Marvels, the Star Wars, Pixar's and all that stuff and the Disney films. Disney is my number one. But Fox Searchlight is easily my number two favorite studio. They've put out movies like The Descendants me and Earl and the Dying Girl, Burn Man, The Drop, Way Way Back, Napoleon Dynamite, Garden State, Boys Don't Cry, Slumdog Millionaire, Ruby Sparks, and Adam. And if you haven't seen Adam, most people don't even haven't even heard of it. See it; it's really good. It's with Rose Byrne. It's really good. Ruby Sparks as well is a movie that some people kind of see. Um, it, Paul Dano was great in that, and it's got a really weird, kind of freaky ending. But Ruby Sparks is, 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 is amazing. And I can go on. I can continue to go on. This studio has put out some of my favorite movies of all time. And they continuously put out new ones. Battle, Battle of the Sexes, they put, they're, they're putting out as well. And it's one of my most anticipated films of the year. Especially after getting the, the praise it got from um, the festival circuit. I also love how the chemistry between JGL and Zoe just works perfectly you could actually see these two people i mean the situation they're in is um they work at a greeting they, they both work at a greeting card factor or they both work at a greet greet greeting card office and uh she becomes the intern she becomes the new secretary of the boss and that's how jgl meets and then they meet because they're big fans of a smith song that she accidentally hears so clearly you're already getting like oh okay they're in new york he lives in a flat Smith's fan, you're like, okay, this is clearly an, a, a, an, an indie film. Clearly it is. 
but their chemistry works so well and it's because of just who they are the film choices they make and just hearing about them in real life you kind of forget that you're watching a movie and you could actually see these two people meeting just like this you could see jgl and zoe in real life maybe 10 15 years ago when they were younger um meeting and this being their story of how they met similar to the way that the big sick this year was uh about how um kumel nunjani and his wife emily met you could you could picture that this is a very similar movie to that that this is kind of how zoe and jgl met when they were a lot a lot younger and because of that you get a sense of realism that you don't get with a lot of other movies such as this because you can you can tell that their actors put into these kind of situations that the average person doesn't get to, that the a- average person doesn't understand you know just as i as i said you know a lot of these movies have these people who are kind of the indie hipsters take 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 the name hipster however you want and they put them into scenarios where as i said they have one job 3 days a week working at a starbucks but yet somehow they have an amazing flat in downtown new york uh, and you're thinking like come on this can't this can't can't, can't this can't, can't be real and you know you you do see that here but it's not it's not thrown in your face as some of the other ones. It's not used as a plot device like some, like so, some of the, the other movies. You actually believe that, you know what, he's probably making enough money in, in this uh, greeting card company that he can't afford a place like this. You kind of actually believe it. He doesn't have any kids. He doesn't have any kind of responsibilities. So you actually kind of believe it a, a little bit. And again, it doesn't play it up. It, it doesn't bring it into the story. It keeps the story between the two of them and that's what i like it doesn't throw the it doesn't throw some of its cliches at you it sprinkles them in to just help move along the main plot and that's what i i prefer it's what i prefer when i'm looking at some of these movies i also really like the music in it specifically the hall of notes you make my dreams come true song that's I think I started falling in love with that song. Actually, after I heard that song, when I watched this movie, I was I, I was thinking to myself, and I was like, "Wait a minute, I don't know a lot of Hollow Notes songs. Like, I I just I don't know a lot. I need to I need to li- I need to listen to more." So I checked out their great greatest hits, and holy jeez, I've become a huge Hollow Notes fan. Um, Sarah Smile is probably. Um, my favorite song. I mean, you got Sarah Smile, Man Eater, You Make My Dreams Come Troll, You Make My Dreams Come True, not Control, True, and countless other ones that you're just like, how have I not heard about this? And then you fall down the well of Yacht Rock and you're like, oh, Michael McDonald is, is also good. And wow, Yacht Rock. Okay, this is actually a real genre. Well, it is now. And you're like, oh, this is great. So I credit kind of falling through this hole of yacht rock and this kind of music because of this because of that 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 scene where i've heard that scene before i've heard that music before but i've never really given it a chance and i thought you know what i like this i'll give it a chance and i was well rewarded for years I'm still finding out new music that uh, i haven't heard heard before 
But one of the scenes that really kind of, and this is a credit to Mark Webb, the, the director. There's a scene in it, and if you've seen the movie, you know exactly what the reality and expectation scene is. It is one of the best scenes I have seen in a romantic comedy drama, I think ever, probably. What it does is he's invited to, this is after they kind of initially, this is later in the film. JGL is invited to Zoe's apartment for a par, par, for a party, and they're not together at, anymore. So in his mind, he's thinking, okay, this could be a great night. I'm going to give her a great gift, and, and she's going to love it, and we're going to fall back. So the screen splits into two, and on one side you have reality, which is what actually happens. And it, it doesn't go anywhere near he wanted to. And then on the other side, it has the expectations where everything that he hopes goes right, goes right. So to see these two side by side, it's not only funny, it's also extremely heartbreaking. And the song they use during that as well just makes you want to rip out your heart, give it to Joseph's character, and be like, bro, you need this now more than me. I'm good for a little bit. You need this now. And it just, it's so heartbreaking, but it's so real. It, it, it makes you think back to all of your times you've been in this kind of situation where you've had these kind of relationships where you thought something was going to happen and it just completely didn't happen. No matter what you try to do, your hopefulness, your expectations was nothing like what actually happened. And it just breaks your heart. But it's a scene that I almost feel like you should study in film school. You should rewatch it multiple times and just just, just take, give part of your heart to him because he clearly needs it then. Most of us are usually fairly good sitting there we don't need as much right ne- right then and there. Give a little bit to him. Because that scene just, as I said, just breaks your heart to see what happens. I'm not going to tell you what happens in it. Because you really need to see it. But the good part about this is, is like most, most rom-com drama movies, is it ends in a bit of a happier, happier moment. I'm not going to tell you what it is because I actually kind of find the ending... Very charming, very cute, very funny, and it feel it. It might have it, it's something that might have been done previously in other movies. I can't remember it, so I kind of really like it. I I really like how it ends. It's and it's got this. It's only an it's it's only about an hour and a half. It's a little over an hour and a half, but strangely, it feels. If after you're done watching it, you feel like you've watched a two-hour movie instead of an hour and a half. And a lot of times when you get that feeling, you're thinking, wow, this movie dragged on so long. But afterwards, it's like, wow, I just watched a two-hour movie, and I enjoyed the full two hours of it. And then you look at the time, and you're like, wait a minute, that was only an hour and a half? That's even better. You feel like you're getting more out of this movie than what could actually what they might actually be giving you. And I think that's the sign of a great movie 
where you where you feel like you're getting so much more out of it from either your personal relationships, your feelings, how you're feeling at that time, what you're doing with your life. And that to me is a sign of a great movie and a really good movie as well. Now, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to take a little bit of a break, uh, break for myself, and I'm going to come back and I'm going to talk, I'm going to give my kind of opinion on what I'd like to see a little bit more from romantic comedy dramas, the, this kind of mixture of all of these, and just some of my thoughts about what I think is going on. And uh, I'll be right back. And now we're back from that extremely long break. Oh, man. I don't know how you guys were able to uh, survive with that. Um, I was trying to come back as fast as I can. But uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about romantic comedy dramas. And the, reason why, and, one of, and the reason why it's one of my favorite genres out there is because it tells, a lot of it tells very simple s- stories. Now, my favorite movie of all time is Perks of Being a Wallflower. And I'll talk about that on another, another podcast, but I'm kind of saving that because it's such, it's such an amazing movie to me. But then you get other movies where you get like the, as I mentioned earlier, The Way Way Back, um, Stuck in Love, um, what else? Her. Her's not necessarily a comedy, but there is uh, obviously some type of jokes in it. You get movies like this. Uh, I recently watched also uh, Blue Jay, which not a comedy, but it does have some kind of comedic beats that you kind of smile a little bit. But I really like these movies because they teleport me into a world that I don't know as well as, you know, they, they, they bring me into a fantasy world that I believe exists. When you watch a lot of sci-fi, action-adventure, you know, you get pulled into this world that you're like, oh, this is incredible, this is amazing, I love being in this world. But you know that it's not real. You know it's not real, you know that this stuff do- doesn't happen. Just watch the movie The Last Action Hero, and when, he, and when, the, and when the kid goes into the movie and uh, Arnold shoots a guy falls off of a car goes straight in falls into a ice cream truck the ice cream truck blows up and then the snow cone and then a snow cone flies and kills another guy in the head and then he makes amazing puns because that's what Arnold does is he makes amazing puns but you know that that stuff isn't real even how funny it is you know it isn't real but when you watch these type of movies you believe they're they're not only real but you kind of you kind of have the sense where maybe one day something like this can happen to me. And I think that's one I think that's one of the reasons why I love movies is because they can show you a new way, a new way of life that you may have not understood or you may not have known of before and thought, you know what, that's something that I can actually achieve. That's something that I can actually do. It's one of the reasons why in like a week and a half when this podcast comes out, October 1st, I'm going on a trip around the States for about two, two and a half weeks. And part of it is because I want to get out there and I want to try these experiences that I always see in these movies, but I'm never, but I never have the courage. I mean, living in, living in a city near Toronto, I sometimes go into Toronto, but I don't get that true experience that you hear. I used to, I, I tell my friends all the time, um, I would love to have that kind of Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist night. And Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist is also another movie I really like. Um, but I always tell them, I, I've told, told them for years that I've always wanted that, I've always wanted that night, that kind of night where you just go out, 
crazy stuff happens. You go bar to bar. You don't leave the city until sunrise. And you get to experience life in a new way. And that's why I love these movies so much is because they feel real. They feel like it's something that I can do. It feels like no matter how often I, I may feel that my life is boring, slow, I'm not really doing much, I always kind of have in the back of my mind that I'm just waiting to accidentally bump into that person, into a new friend, something terrible happens which leads me to somebody else, I meet somebody else through somebody else, you know, whatever, these how these scenarios work. I always imagine that this is something that could happen to me. And this is one of the reasons why I love movies. And this is the same reason why I hear a lot of people tell me about the books they love. Because um, when they're reading these books that they love, they get sucked in. They get drawn in. They almost forget that the world exists around them. And what they're, and what they're reading is what's really happening right now. And that's how I feel when I watch these movies. Is I feel like these are happening now. And... Because I, it's actually kind of kind of funny. Um, I'm going to tell you a story about how much um, I told told you earlier that I kind of make decisions based off of how I feel in romantic comedies, and I always joke because I've actually had that experience where I was standing on a bridge over a highway with a parking lot on one side and the airport on the other side, and I turn around and I see a girl that I was hanging out with start crying. I drop my bags, I run over to her, she jumps into my arms. And we hug and kiss. I've actually had that. And that's one of the biggest romantic rom-com um, cliches out there. And I've actually experienced it because I thought, this is what I'm supposed to do right now. And I made that choice. And I look back on it. And I think, oh, God, that was so cheesy. But it's funny. And it's a fun story. But it's stories like that that you kind of believe are real. And that's why I like rom-coms is because I believe that these movies are real and they could actually happen and they could happen at any random moment. So that's my take on 500 Days of Summer. I'm going to try and put these out uh, every every week, as I said. Uh, I know that last week I talked about, uh, or last podcast I ta- talked about potentially doing movies of Mel Brooks, but I thought I was going to save that uh, for another talk because I, I can't do a half an hour on Mel Brooks movies, uh, I'll be here for hours talking about them. And I want to do each and every one separately. So I'm st- I still don't know what one I'm going to do for next week. Uh, I'm going to try and have these out usually around Monday or Tuesday. I know this one is a little bit late. Uh, some things came up that I had to deal with first. But I'm going to try and get these out around Monday or Tuesday for you guys to listen uh, for when you start going back to work or whatever you do. So that's it for episode three of Mets at the Movies. And I will see you at the next screening.